Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Adibola Adeniran. He is the Chief of Staff at Money, a Pan-African fintech providing the critical financial services micro, small, and medium-sized businesses need to scale. At Money, his role spans fundraising, leading strategic projects, incubating product teams, recruiting talent, driving growth, and partnerships, among others. Prior to Money, Adibola worked full-time as a software engineer and once worked as a data analyst at West Africa's first luxury fashion and lifestyle concept store. Adibola and I spoke about knowing when to shut down a project, leveraging peer coaching, and continuous innovation in the fintech sector. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Adibola. Welcome to the Everyday Leader Podcast. Hey, Chris. It's good to be here. I'm glad that we're finally doing this. And yeah, let's let's get into it. Perfect. Uh, well, I know you're calling from Lagos. Uh, last time we spoke, you were uh, on business, I believe, in, in Rwanda. Uh, so I know you're you're very active and in, in, uh, your role as chief of staff at Money uh, over the past year or two has, uh, I'm sure, brought you to a lot of different places, uh, had you engage with a lot of different customers and teams, and uh, I'm sure a lot of learnings, some of which I would love to unpack uh, with you today. Um, before we get into your role at Money, we typically start off with hearing uh, from our guest about kind of their leadership origin story. So I'd love for you to share with us kind of one of the, the first times you have managed a team or, or some kind of uh, project. Yeah, um, I think, I think so I, I feel like kind of growing up, I've always somehow found myself in leadership roles and in leadership positions, um, particularly in like in, in high school as well. Um, but I think I think the story I'll tell is a little bit about my time at uni. Um, so I went to university in Cyprus, um, and at the time there was a so we were running a TED, TEDx event on campus, right? And the person who was originally the curator of the event, he was leaving, he was graduating, so he was a master's student, and he was leaving the university. Um, and he kind of just just handed it over to me and said, "Hey, I know you can run this, and I want I want you to run it." Um, yes, yeah, so I took I took over the running of the TEDx events um, on campus, and it was it was a lot, right? Because we had never had one on campus before, and it was the first time. Um, and I kind of needed to think through what the team should look like, what the event should look like. Of course, TEDx has templates that you can follow, and what their events generally look like, right? Um, but I, I had to work with the school authorities, get permission for the events. Um, I had to get the so the, this university also had a TV station as well. So I had to get them to come down to film the event. I had to get meals for the guests. I had to bring in guests from both within the university, outside the university, and, all, and even outside the country as well. Um, so, I mean, I really enjoyed that experience. Um, it was tough. There were many sleepless nights. Um, but I really enjoyed the process of having to kind of lead the team to put together um, so, such a global, uh, globally acclaimed event, right? Um, from choosing the speakers, to getting flying people in, to picking them up at the airport, just kind of organizing and directing the entire team um, to ensure that the event was successful. So that's kind of like, I guess, not my earliest memory, but kind of something that I'm very proud of that I did 
um, while, I, while I was in uni. Amazing. And, and how did that experience kind of shape your career path and view towards leadership? Because I know you, oh, from the, the TED experience, you then went on to um, you know, several roles as a, as a data analyst and then on to a full stack engineer before uh, most recently joining money as a chief of staff and more of a uh, holistic kind of um, role. Um, so yeah, how did that TED experience really uh, shape those next steps? Yeah, I think, I think the experience made me realize that I, I enjoyed leading teams. Um, um, I, 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 I really enjoyed leading teams um, because for me, just I, f- I feel like I have really good organizational skills, really good direction directional skills, and I'm also I'll say I'm also multidisciplinary, right? So I have like multiple skills, and there are things that I never thought I could do, and suddenly realize that I can do, right? Um, and so after my after that TEDx experience, I finished, I graduated from uni, so I studied information systems in, in the uni, um, or at uni rather. Um, and the reason why I actually decided to study information systems is because I always felt that at the end of the day, I wanted to build my own business. Um, at the age of eight or nine, I was already writing. So I was very inspired by the story of Mike Adenoga, who owns um, Globacom. So Globacom is a telecom company here in Nigeria, kind of similar to MTN. I think more people around Africa are familiar with MTN. Um, and I was very, at eight or nine, I, was, I would always like write out my own conglomerate on a piece of paper, um, sketching it out on the out and thinking about how I, I want to design my own organization and things like that. Um, yeah, so, so going to start, going to uni to study information systems, it was a perfect blend for me because I, I had like my finance courses, I had my accounting courses on one hand, I had my business courses. And on the other hand, I also had my, um, technical courses as well. So I was doing database engineering. I was doing software engineering. Um, I was doing web engineering. So I was doing a bunch of both technical and business courses because I felt like those were like the perfect match for me. Um, and then after uni, um, I got into Alara. So Alara is a luxury fashion retail business here in Lagos. Um, they stock a bunch of African brands. It's also a contemporary store as well. So you can also buy furniture from there. Um, and in that role, funny thing, it was the first time they were hiring for that role at the company. So they wanted a data analyst to understand fashion trends, what products people were buying in the store, um, what kind of colors people were interested in. And they had never hired anyone for the role. And I interviewed for the role straight out of uni. Um, and, 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 you know, the person leading the same at the time was very happy to work with me. So I basically took ownership of that role, um, d- decided what the direction of that role should look like and what kind of data was important for, my, for, the, for management to see and to help them make better decisions. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, my first thing getting a job out of, out of uni, but also almost immediately taking up a leadership role as well within a company because pretty much I was working kind of independently, taking ownership of my role, but also working with a larger team as well. And then from then I moved on to, I said that I wanted to go back to doing, to writing code full time. Um, so I got back into software engineering and I worked at a company, I worked at a couple of companies actually, but I, I guess the one I'll talk about is my time at AI. Um, and while I was there, I was a full stack engineer. But I was also kind of very involved in leadership as well, because at the time, the CEO wanted me to also sit in on interviews. Um, yeah, he wanted me to sit in on interviews. He wanted me to make decisions on recruitment. He wanted me to contribute more to the company in terms of what kind of content do we put out. So even though I was there as a full stack engineer writing code, my role also uh, spanned recruitment, thinking about strategies for the, for the business um, and other things, as well, other operational tasks as well. Um, and then I think that also kind of prepared me for coming to money. 
Um, at the time, money was still in stealth, so I was kind of running money on, on the side. Um, and, and I was building one of the products for money, actually. Um, but that product eventually did not launch. What we eventually launched was a product that already had traction. Uh, we already had customers using, so we eventually just went with that and, and launched that. Um, and then when I joined Money, funny thing actually, wh when I joined Money, I think on the day that we launched the product, we realized that we did not have customer support. Uh, and so from day one, I was I was working as pretty much a customer support agent. Um, and then you know the story just goes on and on and on after that. So that's kind of like you know my own trajectory in terms of you know leading the FedEx events in uni. And then eventually kind of ending up as chief of staff uh, currently here at Money. Amazing. Uh, that, that does sound like quite a journey. And um, obviously, Money has uh, you know, taken off and uh, your customer support role has blossomed into uh, uh, the current role as chief of staff. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about um, what Money does and, and what your your role, uh, how that fits into the wider team? Yes. So, um, so Money is a community bank for African SMEs. Um, so originally, we started off by, so for us, we want to solve all of the critical pain points when it comes to financial services for SMEs. Um, and the first problem that we, that we tackled when we launched originally was uh, loans, right? So financing for SMEs. Now, in Nigeria, for micro businesses and medium-sized businesses as well, so for micro, small, and medium-sized businesses, it's very difficult for them to access credit from, from the bank, right? Um, because simply the bank feels like they don't have enough data on you. Um, and also these businesses may not have collateral to, to give to the banks in order to access uh, uh, facilities from the bank. And so what we decided to do, we were experimenting with different ideas. And the idea that we eventually landed on was this idea of non-collateralized loans that were backed by social trust. And essentially the way that works is that you have a group of people, so you have a community of people who, are, who could be in the same business or they may not necessarily be in the same business. And the way it would work is that you would all take a loan, say, on a Monday, right? And you can start a cycle on a Monday. Um, and every Monday you would repay back your loans, right? So, and then you also be able to have access to a new loan. Now, if you don't repay your loan on that Monday, so if, say, there's a group of five people, so it starts off with a group of five or ten or whatever number, or a minimum of five, and let's say on, the, on your repayment day, one person within that group does not repay their loan, what happens is that the rest of the group cannot access a facility from money, right? And that encourages other people within the group to put social pressure on the person to ensure that they repay their loans so that the rest of them can also access loans. Um, and that idea pretty much took off, right? Um, we, we started to get a lot of traction. There were a lot of people recommending other people to come on the platform. And people were, were very skeptical about the kind of people that they referred as well because they wanted to refer people that they, they could trust, people that they knew that, you know, would not cost them a lot of issues, um, and people that they knew were good standing within the society. So that, yeah, so that's kind of how that took off. Now we've also expanded the business to doing other things. So just like a bank, um, we're also doing payments. Um, we're also doing accounts and we're currently in we're, we're operating out of four cities or i guess i would say out of four countries in africa now so we have a presence in nigeria we have a presence in Benin republic we have a presence in guinea conakry and we also have a presence in senegal um and the goal is to exp expand that to uh, three or four more countries by the end of the year or by q1 of 2024. 
Um, yeah, so that's kind of like what money does in, in a little bit. Um, so basically community banking for African SMEs um, and all powered by social trust. And so the way my own role ties into all of that is that I guess I would describe my role as um, I do everything that is no one's official job, right? So everything that the founders need done or that the company needs to get done that doesn't actually tie into any, um, any business units or any department, I would typically pick that up. Um, like I said earlier, I started out doing customer support at Money. Um, like on the day that we launched, because there were only like four of us in the company. So the founders, the design lead, myself, and one other designer. Um, so I pretty much had to do customer support on the very first day that we launched. Um, and as the company grew to like seven, eight, nine, ten people, I was also doing IT support. I was shipping out laptops and merch. Now we're nearly, we're over 70 people now. And so my role is a little bit more structured than it was in the very early days. Um, now I lead recruitment. So pretty much all of the technical and non-technical roles come through me. Um, I scout for talents. I decide who we should bring on, who we shouldn't bring on. Um, I incubate product teams as well. Yeah, at money. So when we're launching a new product, um, I'll pretty much sit on those teams to ensure that the product gets out. Um, I'm also involved, very involved in expansion and growth as we expand to other countries. I'm very involved in partnerships. So when we sign partnerships, so we have a number of partnerships actually that, that we've done um, that also ensures that we're able to grow sustainably. I also, I'm also involved in engaging regulators as well. Um, so because of the space that we play in by FinTech, we provide financial services. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of regulation around what we do, right? Um, so we're constantly having to engage regulators. So my role also involves that as well. Obviously fundraising, um, driving performance. And because I'm also an engineer, uh, sometimes I'm also involved in developing internal tools as well. Um, and then I try to be the bridge between cross-functional teams. Um, because we're, we're a fully remote team, sometimes context gets lost. Um, people may not know what other teams are working on. So I try to be that bridge between the different cross-functional teams to ensure that everyone knows um, what everyone is working on, try to make sure that information is flowing between teams and trying to provide context to other teams as well. Yeah, so that's a, a little bit about what I do. Um, I mean, I guess it's not a little bit, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. There's definitely a lot there. Uh, <laughs> like you've just kind of stepped into it and, and taken things on as needed, both for yeah. team-related uh, kind of coordination to the actual like, you know, uh, practical elements related to your business model in, in fintech. So mm -hmm. sounds like you've taken on a lot uh, in just two years. And yeah. kind of, I wanted to hear from you more on, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the day-to-day -day and just being kind of uh, a leader as the chief of staff. Um, you, you had previously worked as a data analyst and an engineer you know, this is uh, kind of a broader, you know, many hats type of role. In, in which ways do you did you feel like prepared uh, as you stepped into this uh, evolving role? Um, and, and then in which ways did you really have to catch up and, and learn on the fly? Yeah, um, I would say, I think I'll start off by saying that nothing prepares you for the Ula Costa startup, startup life. Um, you, you think that... I guess looking looking from the outside in, when you look at startups, you kind of, in a sense, might underestimate the amount of work that goes on in the very early days to keep the company stable, to keep the company running. 
Um, and so sometimes you might think that, oh, if I, if I was going to do this, it, it's going to be easy, right? But it's not. Like, startups are really tough um, to run, um, particularly in the very early days when you're, after, when you're having to grow very quickly, very fast. There's a lot of pressure. Um, yes, I, I don't think that anything prepares you for that. But I think some things help, right? Um, and I would say that my engineering background definitely really helped me um, in this role. Um, just kind of thinking about processes, thinking about systems, thinking about how do we improve things, how do we make things better, um, that definitely helped. Um, I would say also kind of my university education. I know people people don't really think that university education helps, but I think that in my case it helped me because um, I feel like my my university education was very broad and gave me a lot of exposure to different things um, or different subjects, right? Um, and then I would also say my work experience. Now, so, so a part of me, I, I like that I worked at smaller companies, but a part of me also feels in some way, uh, maybe this is just me feeling like the grass is greener on the other side. So a part of me feels that like in some way, if I worked at a larger or if I worked at larger, more structured companies, um, that may also have prepared me very well for this role. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't really think that you know anything prepares you for the for the roller coaster or for the drama that that exists in startups. So to to uh, kind of paint a picture, um, can you share maybe an example, if you if you can, of uh, like a bold or exciting initiative or some kind of decision or project that uh, you and your team have made, and, and how you as a leader within the company um, help drive that decision. Um, yeah, so I think, I think I'll, I'll talk about, um, yeah, I think I'll talk about killing a product that we had, right? Um, so I think in, in the early days, we, we, we experimented with a number of things, um, before we finally settled on what eventually became, became money. Um, but of course, as, as we've grown, we've had different kinds of products, we've had different kinds of offerings for our customers. Um, and there's a particular product that we eventually had to kill, right? Uh, we're lending to a certain segment that we have realized that wasn't working, right? Um, and we just needed to change the business model. Essentially, we needed to lend to a different segment um, because that just worked better, right? Um, and, and I think at the time, it was a very bold decision because I know we sat on that decision for a number of days before we eventually decided that, you know what, we need to kill this business um, and kind of lend to other segments of the market. Um, or that more seg other segments that will feel like were more stable and more profitable for us. Um, we had looked at the data. We had spoken to some of our customers. Um, we had actually iterated on the product a number of times as well, trying to make sure, trying to see if we could crack that segment, right? But eventually, we decided that this wasn't working, um, and we needed to move on to other experiments. We needed to, we needed to move on to other products, um, and so we killed, we killed that product. And for me, it was a, it was a big lesson. Um, I know people, people kind of say, so if you listen to people from YC, for example, they will tell you to not get too attached to an idea, don't get too attached to a project, product, um, kind of be flexible, right? Be able to iterate, be able to experiment, um, and be able to kind of change course, change direction if something isn't working. And I think that, that for, for us, that was the very first time where we had to make such a hard decision, um, feel, realizing that something wasn't working in the business and killing that product and moving on to other ideas. It's, it sounds like, you know, you were able to bring your experience and uh, even the company's past uh, participation in the YC uh, accelerator was also helpful in, in getting that perspective around looking at 
your products and your business kind of from an objective, almost scientific perspective and not getting mm-hmm. attached to be able to then make the call when needed to reprioritize. Um, yeah. It's really, yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah. When you were, when you were part of that decision, um, was there any objection and how did you uh, help kind of shepherd that decision to actually be um, implemented? So I, I, I don't think there were any objections. And the reason for that is because, like I said earlier, we had iterated a number of times, right? And every, everyone on the team, we had looked at the data, we had, we had tried different ideas, different iterations of the same product. And I think it was kind of clear to everyone at the point that it wasn't working, right? Um, but it was that decision, it was having that, that firmness to make that decision to say, hey, this isn't actually working. And we all have to be realistic with ourselves and we need to kill this, right? So rather than kind of, in, sometimes you can get into this, this place where you realize that something isn't working, but you kind of believe that you can make it work, right? And you keep going and keep going and keep going and you just keep spending time on something that is never going to work. Or maybe it's going to work, but you, you probably need a lot more time than you have to get it to work. Um, so there wasn't a lot of objection because I think the, the team was also kind of harmonized in our decision realizing that this wasn't working and we needed to try something new it, it sounds like you you had the data to kind of make that kind of confident decision as well which i'm sure helped um so yeah. uh, i'd love to shift uh now to the topic of peer coaching so you joined the coffee chat peer coaching network last year um mm-hmm. i'd love to have you share about your experience so far yeah i think um i think i met you last year while i was a part of alx um, so we were going through ALX, um, and, and ALX was very helpful to us actually because um, it connected us to a bunch of people across Africa who were trying to get into certain businesses, um, and we needed some insights. And it was, it was a good experience. It was definitely a good experience uh, meeting some of the people at ALX, and then also meeting you as well, obviously, um, and then getting into the network. Um, the network has been very helpful to me. I've met people from different different companies, from Turaco, from Numba. Um, from a bunch of other different companies in, in Africa um, and just being able to glean off their knowledge, being able to learn from them. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a great experience. It's been a great experience. Um, you, I've also kind of learned. So I think one time I had a call with, with I, think, I think it was you actually, and I was thinking around how do we set our organizational OKRs, right? So we had things that we wanted to achieve um, and they were documented, but how do, I, how do I kind of make it clearer to the team? How do I make it, how do I help the team to understand exactly what we needed to achieve and get everyone on board? Um, and I think that you were very helpful in kind of steering that, in helping me find direction um, in what I was trying to do. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, it's been a valuable experience and uh, that even the session with me was somewhat helpful. Is there is there another session that you had with someone that was uh, also memorable and, and, and uh, that you can share about? Yeah, so I think I would say in a, in a sense, they were all memorable, but I would like to talk about uh, meeting Caroline from Turaco. So Caroline is based out of out of Ghana, and she's the head of partnerships at, at a company called Turaco. Um, they're a micro-insurance company. Uh, okay, not micro-insurance. They also do micro-insurance, but they're an insurance uh, company, so they're an insurtech company. Um, and it was very interesting because when we started talking, we were talking about, you know, what the problems that I was trying to solve at money, and she was just talking about the problems that she was trying to solve at Turaco as well, because they were expanding. They wanted to get more companies in Nigeria uh, or that were operating out of Nigeria. 
and it was perfect because we were at the time we were, we were also using another insurance company right for our loans um and you know Turaco just offered cheaper premiums um so it was it was a no-brainer really right um so i introduced that to our head of business he had money and they got speaking and we're able to do a partnership not right now we have Turaco. we're in business we're in partnership with Turaco. they insure quite a number of our loans um and it's been a great relationship and when she came to nigeria we also met up in person um so that's kind of like the connection that i've built through coffee chat um so that's definitely my most memorable experience but i'll also talk about one from um from number so i'd met i've forgotten his name now just kind of escaped my mind so i met him through coffee chat as well he's head of data at number um and he has very extensive experience in data in ai in machine learning and i was talking about how we kind of think about data here at money um and kind of how we store our data how we analyze our data how we visualize our data and he you know he kind of affirmed that yeah we're on the right path for the state that we were at as a company so it was very good to kind of hear that from someone who was way more experienced than i was in the field to to hear that yes we were collecting our data correctly we were using the right tools to visualize them. We had our data team set up properly um, and we're on the right path to success. So yes, yeah, so I think those two, those two coffee chats were definitely very, very memorable for me um, because um, the kind of one was for was eventually became a partnership and the other was just to affirm to me that we were on the right path and we're doing the right things. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, I, I didn't know that uh, there was some business development that also came out of that conversation so happy to hear that uh, i have heard similar things in, in other cases but uh when you open up about your your challenges and have a meaningful conversation i think it does open a lot of doors uh for opportunities such as that um i did want to hone in a little bit more on some of the the skills that you may have been kind of practicing in your peer coaching capacity given the twist uh, or, or you know, difference between, say, a, a normal networking or mentorship call and more of a peer coaching call? Are there any skills that you have found yourself practicing and, and applying that also outside of the sessions? Um, I, I think definitely listening, um, just kind of listening to your, to your peer talk about, you know, their own challenges, their own issues that they're going through um and also thinking through solutions with them and, and providing kind of your own insights as well from where you stand um because you kind of have having kind of getting on the call with someone with a wealth of experience can be very helpful actually um sometimes they bring certain perspectives and certain clarity that you may not have um and i think that yeah that that's kind of you know the skill that i've, I've been able to practice the most just being able to listen and being able to really really um kind of think through rather than thinking about the solutions immediately thinking about what exactly the problem that this person is trying to solve is and, and what the root cause of that problem is and then eventually thinking through what the solution should be um yeah so and, and those skills are helpful everywhere everywhere in life so not just on the call not just on the, on, on those calls but even outside even in your own day-to-day -day life as well um there's a challenge that you're going through there's a problem you're trying to solve can kind of think through exactly what the root cause is and then try to eventually then think through what the solution should be to that, to that problem. Amazing. Um, you, you definitely summed it up. Uh, and you, you mentioned about working with, I think it was Robert from Nomba on, on their yes. data team, uh, helping yes, you think through, through some of the, the data 
infrastructure uh, opportunities you have. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to uh, you know start to wrap up today's conversation. You know, uh, getting in your head around what you are thinking the most about as a leader within Moni. So, are there specific types of trends uh, that you're seeing, I suppose, within fintech or the um, Nigerian fintech uh, sector that um, you're focusing on recently in terms of helping Moni navigate? Yeah, um, so I think, first of all, um, so that I think that there are two things that I'm seeing, right? Um, I think that, you know, fintechs over the years uh, might have thought that, you know, they're, they're changing things, right? Um, and they are, like, fintechs are really doing a lot in terms of setting the pace and, and changing a lot of things about financial services. But I think that what we're seeing more and more is that traditional banks, particularly in Nigeria, they've become more agile, right? And they're catering to the needs of, of their users more than ever before. I think they're also, they've also been very inspired by fintechs um, to to be more agile, to kind of serve their customers better, to understand user experience and, and user-centered design even better, right? And, and for fintechs to stay competitive, you have to continue to own in on your strengths. You have to continue to go deeper into what you're doing and do it better and faster than, than, you know, than the traditional banks as well. Um, so, yeah, so I definitely think that that's, that's a trend that I'm seeing. Uh, for example, today, GTB is launching. So GTB is, a, is one of the biggest banks here in Nigeria. They're launching a new app that is going to look way better than, um, you know, what they had before. Um, so traditional banks in Nigeria are definitely um, improving, setting, setting higher standards, really, that fintechs have to, making, making fintechs also have to kind of, you know, innovate a lot to stay competitive. Um, so that's one thing that I'm seeing. But I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing, so as I've traveled around Africa and basically talking, spoken to a lot of customers, a lot of people um, in Africa, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is payments. Um, and I think that that's the biggest problem right now in Africa. Payments is still very fractured in Africa. And anyone that solves that problem is basically going to uh, make a gold mine, right? Because um, I think that payments will unite Africa at the end of the, at the, end of the day. Um, but there's also, so there are a couple of big organizations that are trying to solve that problem. And one, one of them is PAPS, right? So PAPS is the Pan-African Payment Settlement System. Um, and it's a conglomerate of different banks. So some of the biggest banks in Africa um, that are part of this, of this scheme and are trying to pull this off. Um, and I think that that's an emerging trend. Um, and I think that fintechs also have to be, they have to position themselves to play in that space um, alongside the, the very big banks. Um, as long as, you know, regulation is also going to be sorted out, but fintechs have to really position themselves to play in that space. So that's kind of the trends that I'm seeing. So traditional banks are innovating. Um, fintechs have to continue to innovate to keep up. Um, and also payments will unite Africa. Um, and fintechs have to also be a part of that revolution as well, ensuring that they are not left behind um, as that revolution continues to, to happen. Amazing. And uh, last question for you today, you know, uh, in your... Um role as chief of staff, you know, what is, uh, you, you've gotten essentially a lot of exposure into, um, you know, what, what makes a, a high growth startup, you know, tick. Um, is there kind of one strategy that you would uh, share with our audience uh, for, you know, many people who are listening are managers or leaders at either startups or larger companies? Is there a strategy that, you know, you recommend that, managers, you know, in today's type of work 
workplace setting uh, keep in mind when they're leading their teams? Is there one thing that maybe you're seeing underutilized or um, a manager kind of strategy that you've seen uh, be particularly effective? Yeah, um, um, I would say I would, I mean, I, I, at the risk of sounding, um, I guess, brash in some sense, I would say I have fast and fire fast. Um, I think what I've realized very quickly at, in my role at here at Money is that the people that you bring on board, the people that you hire, particularly in the early days, really determine the trajectory of your company. How fast you go, how fast you grow, how fast you execute, um, how quickly you get things done, and the quality of the output as well that your company is able to produce. So definitely finding the best people, finding the brightest people, hiring them, um, and then kind of cutting off that relationship very quickly if it's not working out. Um, I know sometimes we can get very emotional about the people that we hired, and, and we should, as we should, right? Um, there are people at the end of the day, um, but we also have to think about what the business is trying to achieve um, and whether or not these people are the right set of people to get us to where we need to get to. Um, and I think that don't ever be under pressure to fill a rule, right? Um, because at the end, because you can end up making rash decisions that you shouldn't make. Um, yeah, so your, your people are the most important assets that you have. Um, and you need to make sure that you hire the best people that you can find. And do not be under too, don't try not to be under too much pressure to fill a role quickly. Try to be, try to make sure that you find the best people for your role rather than hiring someone just because you need to fill this role and you need to fill it ASAP. Oh, that's spot on. Uh, can't argue with that. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for sharing not only that wisdom, but also your journey uh, from helping coordinate TED Talks to now helping manage a high growth fintech startup uh, doing some impactful work in Nigeria and beyond. Uh, Adibola, thank you so much for your time today and thanks for being part of Coffee Chat and kind of peer coaching other uh, managers and leaders across uh, the region. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It was good to do this. Uh, hopefully I can see you in Mauritius uh, soon. I hope so too. All right. Bye-bye.